Welcome to the Resound Worship Songwriting Podcast, episode 17. I'm Joel Payne from Resound Worship. And I'm Geraldine Luce. And this is a podcast designed to equip and inspire grassroots songwriters serving their local church. And in this episode, we are recording live from the Worship Songwriting Retreat in sunny Wydale. (laughs) So we are very delighted and blessed to have uh, such a gathering of gifted songwriters. And we even have a house band with us this morning. So maybe you can give us some theme music, chaps. Thank you. That's. Do you want me to reveal who you are, or was the, was the playing all right for? And I'll keep their identities a secret. <laughs> <laughs> they might crop up again. So in this episode, we are going to um, we're going to hear a little bit about um, a Resound London songwriting group, which has been running for the last few months. Um, we are going to dissect the classic song "Faithful One" by Brian Dirksen. And we'll review May in the 12th Song Challenge and we'll set the challenge for, not May, I always get it wrong, Geraldine. Yes. What, what's the month? What month are we in? June. We're actually nearly into July. We're nearly into July. July. Okay, we're going to review June and then um, we'll set the challenge for July. So Geraldine, it's lovely to have you with us. Thank you. On our podcast. Lovely to have you with us on our retreat. Yeah, well, that was a surprise. It was, wasn't, wasn't it? it? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I was going to be praying from a distance, but Sam's boat broke, but, in quote. <laughs> but, um, but no, it's, it's been, yeah, it's been great, actually, to be a part of it. Really honoured to Thank be. Thank you. Well, we've been really delighted to have you. Thank and, you. Um, yes, it turns out that you might actually be better than Sam. So. No! <laughs> <laughs> differently. Diff- Sam, we love you. Good. Come back soon. And we do yeah. love Sam as yeah. well. So it's great to have you. Um, Geraldine, I wanted to ask you you and um can i get joe and judy to come and um come and join us here just wanted to ask you uh about the uh, about the the songwriting group that you have been um running together with carrie and um joe and judy and what you've been doing you had quite i think quite a sort of uh, a, a sort of specific approach to the songwriting mm. you've been doing. Can you tell us a bit about mm. the kind of the genesis of that and how yeah, you've been approaching sure. things? Yeah, so, so we'd obviously been um, aware of the Resound writing um, family and how that worked in terms of the collaboration place, owning the song, but being offered critique and meeting up regularly. And we, we really appreciated that, the, the kind of national... Um, there's dad flying over. And, um, and we had those national um, events, but Kerry and I just wondered about having something that was um, more locally um, based around um, uh, near where we lived. And, but we wondered about kind of having some principles to, to that that um, to some might seem a bit kind of um, maybe even austere, but we just wondered whether it might be something that could work. So some of the principles we, we, we adopted were, was that it would be regular, so once every six weeks, um, and that we would gather around food. 
<laughs> so, um, so, it, so, and, and part of that was about um, writing with friends as as different to just writing with other writers. So the the place about writing with friends and hearing story over food. So um, that was that was quite a major. Um, part of of our gathering and and we didn't skimp on that and the lovely Joe has always been bringing puddings as well and then Judy supplies us with fruit and lovely so it's it's, anyway before I go into the menu um, (laughs) so that was one of the principles that'd be regular that would be gathering around food that that um, that people who came would be committed to writing we're all busy people um, that's a given but we we wanted to ask people to come on board who would be committed to doing the homework so if we did uh, had a session here that in six weeks time people would be rocking up not saying oh, I'm sorry I've not got anything done actually you needed to be producing stuff um, at, at, at that point and so believe you Kerry and I the Friday before would, would be found scrubbing around like it's Monday <laughs> we need to so it, it wasn't it wasn't easy it was still sacrificial for everybody but but we kind of felt that for the group to progress it, it needed to have that we started it last October we were thinking about um, working towards Easter as a kind of a goal and uh, so in that sense we thought well if we had three or four sessions before that maybe we could write a song or some projects for Easter so that was a vague thought in our mind and um, so that's basically the, the, the way, the, the principles that we, we, we set up. I mean, I don't know if you want me to go into what it actually looked like as we got well, let's, there. Let's, shall we, uh, so, Judy, you've been involved in Resound since the beginning. So that's about 10 years, isn't it? And uh, you've been writing with us for a long time. So this will have been a, a new experience. You know, you arrived at the Lucas house and, and um, you know, ate together and then set off into this new approach to songwriting. Do you want to just describe to us a little bit about what, what you did and how you found it, whether it was a kind of a big departure for you or just something you fitted into really easily? Uh, yes, well, it was certainly um, a, a different approach because the way that we've all done it as individual resound worship writers is to work on something at home, bring it to the group and then share it and have critique and so forth. Um, but this was sort of starting completely from scratch and um, starting very much uh, doing it corporately together. Um, and it also, start, the way we started was to um, improvise. Scary. Uh, yeah, <laughs> scary with Kerry, no. Um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, he's lovely. And, um, yeah, so um, I, from what I can remember, we kind of did it in two ways. Literally, when we started, it was just vocally, wasn't mm, it? Um, and we did this um, sort of tag team, as you mm. um, call it, where we'd, we'd had a recorder going... Um, not a recorder that you play, but, you know, <laughs> uh, on, on an on iPad or something. Um, and then we'd... Uh, first of all, we had, a, like, a Bible passage, and we also thought about names of God, names of Jesus, and then we had a passage from Colossians. Mm. And then out of that, we just sort of, you know, it was press play and, and uh, press record and start going, and, you know, mm. see what would come. Uh, and so one person would start singing something, improvising something, and then when they felt they'd, um, you know, done enough, they'd then pass on... To the next person, mm-hmm. so uh, um, yeah, so it was a very, very different, really, mm-hmm. way of, of of going about it. Yeah, it does. I mean, it sounds quite scary. It's, it sort of sounds quite. You can imagine in that first moment, it feels intimidating, or you know, because you, you you have to have to try and do it. It's mm-hmm. that switch off the edit button thing, isn't it? Just yeah. sing, yeah, so yeah, just yeah. sing something, sing anything. Yeah. 
Yeah. Um, did you, Joe? I'm interested. Did you find as you did you warm up to it, or did you just kind of jump into it with with both feet? And then what did you do once once you'd done that session? What happened next? Yeah, the, the start was a bit scary, um, but I love improvising myself, so I embraced that really uh, warmly because I just love. Um, improvising over a worship song or and and so the passing was uh, was good but it is you feel on the spot and you think i've got to produce something here and you sing something <laughs> um but it was great it's a great start um and then from that um we went away and um we came back the following time with um ideas that flowed from that mm. uh, so we would take the, we would, as Judy said, we would record on our iPads or iPhones or whatever, take them away and then come back with um, with something formed, mm. um, albeit short or long. Mm-hmm. Judy's very good at long ones. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm hopeless at long ones. <laughs> um, but personally, I found it an amazing experience. I really loved it. I've Because I, I don't like writing alone. Um, and the, the four of us have really gelled. Um, and it, yeah, it, it, it's been a really wonderful experience for me personally, mm. and, and I think for all four of us, it's been mm. it's been really good. Mm. We've all said um, how much we appreciated um, the tag team kind of thing. Yeah. Um, so one person would bring something, and then another person would take it away. So you, once you'd once you'd done your bit, you would bring it, and then um, like say I brought something, Judy took it away, or. Geraldine and Kay, we took it away, um, and they, then they would bring it back, and then the next person would take that away. Somebody who'd not worked on it already mm. will take it away and work on it and bring it back. And then there are times when we all put our heads together mm. on that one thing and, um, and just hone it a bit more um, together. And we've gotten to know each other um, mm. over, over the food. We've gotten to know... We've talked about our private lives. Mm. We've talked about our work. We've mm. talked about all sorts of things. Mm. Put the world to rights and all sorts. And, mm. and that has been um, a basis and a solid foundation as well mm. for writing together. I was just going to add, because um, as you were speaking, it, I think you'd agree that it has made us sort of produce um, songs that are very different... Um, sound very different from what we would usually write. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we all tend to That's fall true. into a, a similar groove, don't we, when we're, we're writing, m- might be thematically mm-hmm. or stylistically. And obviously putting four heads yeah. together, yeah. Um, something very different comes, comes out and it yeah. starts differently and it ends differently mm-hmm. as well. So that's been really refreshing. Mm-hmm. Uh, and for someone who's been writing for quite a long time, perhaps been part of Resound for a long time, um, it's really good to have that sort of injection of, of something you know, new and uh, mm-hmm. you know, yeah, mm-hmm. a new creative um, force, really. So. Thank you. you. You sometimes hear about uh, I mean, these, these well-known worship songwriters and they say oh yeah we went into the studio and sat with the producers and we wrote four songs and then we went for lunch and we there's a sort of <laughs> like they come together and you often you do actually often hear that don't you mm. i don't know whether those are just the only stories they tell but mm. the kind of we got together for an hour and a half and yeah we, we wrote mm. a couple of songs and actually you got together lots of times and mm. um you wrote songs over quite an extended mm. period i mm. I'm, I'm interested in how once you, you're feeding in these different things and mm. different people are shaping things, how do you get a song to finish? Mm. Like, how does that bit work? Yeah, yeah, good question. We, so, so from that very first session, so at the end of that tag team event, if you like, so we'd have four different ideas. 
And then we went, we went on and we did another exercise where um, Kerry was at the piano and just set up a chord um, motif and then we improvised over those um, uh, motifs. So at the end of that first session, we probably had about eight ideas that we could take. And then basically we just sent... Um, we, we all went to our different homes and, and worked on anything that grabbed our attention, basically. That, that was how, how it worked. So when we came back, as Joe said, we, we all each had something that we had produced from the, from the last time. And then, as Joe um, said, we, we would put our heads together and then tweak it. Words, what about this? What about that? Change that melody? What about that harmony? Um, is that even in the Bible? That kind of thing. So we would... Um, so that kind of thing. And then we would then swap. So if I had brought a song, then, then um, I'd give it to Joe and, or, and, and vice versa. And so that would happen over... Um, each session and gradually as you you know you get to session two to session three that process has happened by session three I, I have to say for for most of the songs it was like I don't even know whose song this is now it, it and, and I really loved that that mm. place of whose song is this because it's got I, I can see that Judy's writing and thinking there and I can hear Joe's melody here and I can see oh yeah a bit of the gospel thing there but whose song is it do you know what I mean and so 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 by session three you you've got a song that's more formed and uh, and uh, but if I talk about two songs so one um song bright morning star um we had gotten to about session four three, maybe four, and it was very nearly finished in our own eyes. I think we just needed, we had, the other thing I meant to say at the beginning in terms of principles was that we definitely wanted to remain attached to resound. So this was an, a resound thing. And so when all is said and done, and Joel and I had discussed this at the very beginning, we, we wanted Joel to have editorial control. So the very last word, if you like, was, yeah, is this going to be a resound song or not? So we're not like this loose cannon that's kind of floating around London saying, we're writing songs. Um, so we, we were just at the stage of this particular song where, does it need another verse? We're not quite sure. Should we tweak that um, we'll maybe send it to Joel, see what he he thinks. And Kerry and I were just on our way off to an event in Grand, Rap Grand Rapids, uh, Michigan. It was like a worship. They call them symposiums over there. They don't call them conferences. So um, we went to a worship symposium, which was a, an international gathering of, of people involved in gathered worship. And Kerry and I signed in for a songwriter's kind of day retreat thing and submitted this song, Bright Morning Star, that was very nearly finished. And, uh, and they sang that during the seminar workshop thing. And as they sang it, it just took off. And people were singing in harmonies. And, and, and I was recording this. And so at that point, I then emailed the guys and said, guys, we've just sung it over here. And people are saying, where's it published? Can we get a hold of this? And, and can you send it out? So at that point, we thought, gosh, it kind of gave us a bit of a kick up the backside, you know, to kind of, we need to get this. So we came back, session four, and finished that, that off. That was one route for Bright Morning Star. The, another song, the other songs invariably have just gone through session, we get to session four, um, singing it through. Yeah, this feels finished. It feels right. It feels like we've got the verses. It feels like we've, um, the harmony sits, Let's check it out with Joel. And then Joel would come back with, um, 
when you're saying that, does does that follow through? I mean, Joel's great, as you know, with um, the 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 kind of theological kind of insight place, but also the kind of harmony. Will congregations sing that, or will they just default to what they want to sing anyway? So, so we have that for those songs. So, out of those eight ideas, I think six songs have been formed and five of those are finished. So we've got one, one or possibly two more. No, four of those are finished. So two more that we, we are bringing to near completion um, now. Great. Well, you're going to teach us one, is that all yeah, right? Yeah, yeah, happy to. Um, so yeah, this one, um, in fact, I think this was probably the, the motif in the chorus. The sun will rise, will rise. This is where Geraldine realises she hasn't warmed up her voice this morning because she didn't. Uh, but um, so I might put it in a slightly lower key. No, I, I won't. I'll be kind to the guys. Um, but this song, that motif, the sun will rise, I think might have come from our first improvisation session, actually. Um, so it's interesting seeing it here kind of in a final um, uh, but I'll sing a verse through, well, Judy and Joe do help, and, um, and then, yeah, see what you think. You who fear the Lord, do not be afraid, God will comfort you and lift you up. You with us. The sun will rise, will rise with healing in his way. That last line, with healing in his way. And again, with healing in his way. Here's the verse. Do Verse, verse two with us. Here we go. You who long for rest in the day of test, you will be restored to live again. You who sit alone, you sit alone, 
Lovely. Well, thank you, um, Joe and Judy, especially. Let's give them a round of applause. Thank you. I'll invite Geraldine to come back and join me up here. Yeah. And it's time to dissect a classic. Yum, yum. So the classic song we're going to dissect this morning is Faithful One by uh, Brian Dirksen. Does, uh, does, can our house band give us a, <laughs> give us a little... Um, come on, our house band. They're not really prepped for this. It's in D. Beautiful, beautiful. Now, what we would normally do at this point is um, Sam and I would go... we try and give ourselves a really sort of tight minute, because otherwise you can go on for hours uh, analysing these things, um, picking out things in the song that we think make it work as a classic. We, we tend to... We, we've just taken the list of the CCLI Top 25 songs in the UK, actually, which is almost completely different to the US list, and if you've noticed that. Um, it seems in the UK, we, we like our songs well-established for a good 25 years or so. <laughs> Whereas in the US, I think they're happy to move on more quickly for some reason. Um, and this is one, well, it certainly has been in the list in um, you know, both sides of the Atlantic, but certainly here, it's an enduring song um, in the UK churches. It's one of those ones that the moment you, you strike it up in, in church, everybody joins mm. in and sings and harmonies come out and, and there's this kind of long notes and things. Um, what I'd love to do, actually, is ask some of you to just give your little insight. What do you think makes this a classic song? What do you see in here as a songwriter that really makes this work? And I'm going to limit you to just kind of a sentence each. So pick a, sing- pick a particular thing, and I'll just come for a quick wander around with the microphone. I love the bit on, you lift me up when I fall down. You lift me up, and then there's that, that, there is really a real falling of the tune and lovely tension there in that moment. Yeah, great, thank you. I think, as you mentioned up front, I think harmonies just come really naturally and really, really easily in this song. It's fantastic. It speaks into real life. Mm. I think people find they can make these words their own, so they, they sing it from the heart. Yeah. It's just a really well-crafted song. By the time you get to the chorus, you're ready for a big chorus, and it delivers with a big chorus. Yeah, why, do, why, is the, why does the chorus deliver? What is it, can you see what's about it that makes that work? It's got a great singable tune and it goes up in the chorus, so it's, it feels triumphant and mm. strong. It's just got a really strong metaphor running through the whole song, so it's kind of easy to connect with. And yeah, t- tell us a bit more about the metaphor. So how's it... Well, just the, the, the concept of God as an anchor holding us safe in one place is, is yeah, it certainly, it certainly speaks to my heart speak, and speaks, obviously, loads of people's hearts. Yeah, it's, a, it's, a, it's almost a song before its time, isn't it? In that it's always been relevant, of course, but it's really popular now to write songs about, you know, every other so- song seems to be about the struggle and the storm and the, um, and yet there was Brian, you know, 20, what's that, 20, 30, year, 30 years ago, pretty much. Um, yeah. Yeah, I think it really does speak into our contemporary age. People really want church to be a place of refuge. I'm not sure God necessarily calls church to be like that, but this song really resonates with our desire for church to be a sort of sanctuary in the storms of the world around us. Oh, the fact it's got five lines in the verse it re- represents the untidiness that we live in. And sort of that. <laughs> nice analysis. That's good. Geraldine, have you got any thoughts? Well, I, I always... Well, I can't sing the song without remembering... Um, some of the 
backstory, I don't know if some of you know the backstory to when Brian wrote this, that they, um, and do correct me if I'm wrong, but he had, they had just had a child that was born with a terrible chromosome mm. disorder. I think that was right. And then I think while he was writing this, she was pregnant with a second child that had the same chromosome disorder. So, so this song came out of that place, do you know what I mean? So two children with this um, terrible disorder. And, um, and for me, I guess it's just an encouragement as a songwriter not to write so, so, you know, what Joel just said in terms of writing ahead of his time, 30 years, but he was writing in his moment. He was writing from his experience. And I think that's a challenge for us as writers, isn't it, to, to choose. Do we write for um, what we think is the trend or what we think is current or what we think is will be heard or will get sold or will get listened to? Or do we write from our moment, from our story? And it seems to me, certainly from what Brian's song mentals to us, that longevity might be actually in that place that is authentic and in that place that is to do with story. It, uh, looking at it um, musically, it has, it's an interesting song because it breaks lots of rules, doesn't it? Um, those of us who, we did a session on rhymes yesterday morning. Has anyone found a rhyme in it? <laughs> um, again, as an identity. Oh, very good. It's an identity. Yeah. Um, and it actually has quite a few new tunes. It just seems to kind of yeah. keep going and never really return. But also within it has, the, it has some sequences, doesn't it? It has faithful one. It keeps repeating the same shape of phrase. And the I call out to you, which rises up. It lifts and lifts. Um, and then just drops that a little bit so that when you sing, you are my rock. And it lands. If you want to pick one word in there for your chorus to land on its strongest note, it's going to be rock, isn't it? You are my rock. Boom, there we are, in times of trouble. Um, I, we, we always ask this question as well, just because um, we're cheeky, I suppose, but because we're songwriters and we're trying to analyse, is anything you look at and think, oh, I think maybe it could be improved. <laughs> so we're going to do, do this nicely, but just, you know, if there's something where you think, you know, if Brian had brought this to me, I might have said, this is brilliant, Brian. Actually, if Brian had brought it to me, I probably would have said, it doesn't rhyme, it's meandering. <laughs> it's what... <laughs> <laughs> but you go on, Cathy, you had an idea. Um, yes, it always bugs me that I fall down goes up. Fall, fall down. So the down is, is up, but the fall is down. So, so as a phrase, it sort of falls, but then it, yeah, it does lift, doesn't it? That's interesting. One of the things are, well, one of the things I think congregations always struggle with is, Lord, of all I depend on you, and then there's a kind of gap before I call out to you again. And it's that, it's a real struggle for congregations to kind of like know when to come in. I, I, I call out to you again. My one is the rhythm of all through the storm. Your love is the, yeah. And you never, and it's actually quite hard to get that pace right and the rhythm right. So it amazes me this is so popular in both house groups and in church as a whole. Yeah. It's amazing it spans that because of, that can make people feel uncomfortable. So that's really interesting. We've picked out several things that we think are hard to sing, and yet it's probably one of the most enduring, most singable songs that we have in the church. So what, can we, what do we learn from that? Is there a lesson in that for us? Any ideas? Chris? 
Uh, have a big chorus. <laughs> Brilliant. I did well. Yeah, yeah, that's good. Um, like you are my ah that's brilliant thank you guys so there we go we have dissected the classic song Faithful One uh, house band how about we sing the chorus you are my rock in times of trouble you lift me up when I We, uh, it's time for the 12 song challenge Woo, 12 song challenge uh, that shows the three of you who listen to the podcast there yeah it's good to have you here actually in the room but who's going to listen to it now <laughs> um, so I'm, I'm pretty I'm actually quite nervous at this point because um, I'm quite nervous at this point because what I, what I now have to do in the 12 song challenge is play my attempt for this month and you just and if you just blown the roof off with faithful one <laughs> and i'm afraid my offering is going to seem fairly weak and pathetic um but you know in 30 years time who knows <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. i like to think so i think yeah um so the challenge this last month was to write a holy spirit song um we'd come out of we'd had uh, Pentecost Sunday. I don't know about your experience, but when it comes to Pentecost Sunday, you think, "Great, let's sing lots of songs about the Holy Spirit." And then you go to look for them, um, and you can't find. Oh, I can't find many. Um, there are some good ones out there, but they're often exactly the same ones I sang last year, and the year before, and the year before that, and um, and they're quite hard to write. I think they're quite hard mm. to write. I think we're still not quite sure what to do with the Holy Spirit mm. a lot of the time, are we? Mm. Um, so they are quite hard to write. Um, and I don't think, I'm pretty sure my, my weak attempt hasn't plugged the gap at all. But I thought I would have a go at writing one of those um, simple, could almost start it from the floor kind of Holy Spirit songs um, that we'd all love to be able to write. And they, you know, they, you know maybe they work. So this is, um, this is what I did. I'm just going to have to turn around because I can't remember the words. And I will just, I'll play you a verse and then maybe get you to sing a verse. And then I just invite your critique and you can tell me what you would improve about it. Fill me, breath of God. 
we try verse two, and this time just to encourage me, sing lots of harmonies. Oh, fire of God, come fill me and burn and blaze within me. Spirit of God, renew me, fill me, breath of God. First three quietly. Spirit of God, come fill me and be the power within me. Spirit of Jesus, send me, fill me, breath of God. Thank you. Well, that's thank you. I would like to put you all in a case and take you around with me, I think. Every time I'm writing songs, I just turn and say, and in harmony. <laughs> just a sort of it, harmony can cover all kinds of <laughs> parts. Can't it? Geraldine, I'm going to just turn to you, yes, put sir. you on the spot, yeah. and ask if you'll give me a bit of instant feedback. Yeah. I really like the, um, the simplicity of it. And I've already got it in my head. So even without looking at the words, oh, breath of God can fill me and put your life within me. I probably got a few words wrong, but the sentiment of it, fill me, breath of God. I did wonder, oh, particularly when we got to the second verse, oh, why don't we do, fill me, fire of God. Mm. And then I thought, oh, no, I can see what you've done there because spirit of God doesn't really match your breath. And, but so but the fact that we've got that repeated line, fill me, breath of God, it's just that repeated hook that you could just bring um, the congregation into at that point. So I like the anchoring um, point. I, I love the fact that in, in this spirit song, there is, it's, it's Trinitarian. I love the fact that you've got the spirit of God, the fact that it's, it's in the last verse, spirit of Jesus, send me. Fill me, breath of God. So that for me just feels really holistic in 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 um, in the song. Um, within me, I don't know that. I like that. Um, trying to find something that I can say that needs to be improved. I'm, I'm, I'm sure we've got 20, <laughs> 25 other people that will help you out. Yeah. <laughs> I can't think of anything just yet, but I'm sure I will. I mean, it might be in, it might be, it might be more to do with the arrangement. So if it's something, um, maybe in the key that it's that we sing it in, maybe a slightly higher key, mm. or um, if it's depending on where it's going to be in the service and what it's for. If it's a reflective receiving, or is it kind of you know, the Holy Spirit of fire and blazing, do we need to stand and maybe take it up a few keys and, and really go for that? But that's probably more arrangement than it is songwriting. But over to you guys. Brilliant, thank I you. I'm going to um, roam with the mic again and just see if we can grab a couple of... But how about the house band? Have you got... Yeah, I just wonder if you could go on a slightly bit more of a journey with the melody. So on the third line, I always wanted to go, Spirit of God, revive me. To kind of do that. So then you go. That's nice. Yeah, I think we could do that, couldn't we? Yeah. Can we try it? Should we try that? Let's go. So, oh, breath of God, come fill me 
and breathe your life within me. Spirit of God, revive me. That's nice, yeah. That's the um, house band melody expert. I just wonder, Geraldine was talking about wanting to go fill me far of God in the second verse. You could change the last verse if you wanted to do that to wind of God, come fill me. Because the power, you've got power in the second line and then you finish with breath. And power and breath don't seem to be that connected, whereas wind and breath might be. So it could be wind of God, come fill me. And then if you wanted to go in the last line, breath, fire, wind, you could. Great idea, thank you. I'm going I'm to do one more, not because I can't stand it, but because we need to, we'll need to move about. This is really great, I really appreciate it. Matt, thank you. Well, it's all me, 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 isn't it? Mm. Um, so it could be, oh, oh, breath of God, come fill us. Breathe of God. One other thing I thought was, um, oh, breath of God, come fill me. Oh, breath of life within me. Uh, fill me. Oh, breath of life within me. Oh, breath of God. Revive me. So keeping the same thing. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. That's an interesting point. Actually, I'll just come back to Geraldine on that. The thing, it is a me, me, me song. Mm. And Holy Spirit songs often end up being me, me, me songs. Mm. Do you, what, what do you think? Do you th- <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I, I don't have a problem with that in that maybe in my head as if I'm leading worship, I'm already thinking I can always take it to the corporate place. So in my head, I, 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 I wouldn't think that that would be a reason for you to change that to us and print it as mm. fill us. Because I can think, well, I can, we can always start with me and take it to corporate. Um, so, yeah, that's my, that would be my, my um, response, response there. I, I just think that... It's about gifts to the church, isn't it? And, and mm. in terms of pastors and worship leaders and those kind of people who are able to say, yeah, but it is a personal in, infilling, but it is something that is corporate for the community. Mm. So, yeah, that for me works. I'm happy with that. Brilliant. Well, thank you, everybody. Really appreciate that. You can come and give me the rest of your feedback over lunch. <coughs> uh, that would be great. Um, we're now going to move on to the... Get the month right. What is it? July. We're going to move on to the July challenge. And the July challenge is um, drawn partly from the interview that we had in the middle of this month, for those of you who heard it, with um, Nigel Hemming, who wrote that famous kids song. Do you know the one I mean? I'm doing actions here. Um, Who wrote Great Big God. And then Damien Herbert, who is um, part of Big Ministries, who are um, based in Birmingham and... um, they do lots of work with kids' work and, and all-age work. And there's a real sort of, there's a blur, isn't there, already? I'm, I'm having to use the word kids and all-age and sort of blurring them, but we understand them as the same but different uh, and so on. Um, Sam, who couldn't be with us because his boat was cancelled, um, has, however, kindly put together um, a little a sort of mini-lecture for us. The novelist Martin Amis was asked um, if he had ever thought of writing a children's book. And he responded by saying, the idea of being conscious of who you're directing the story to is anathema to me, because in my view, friction is freedom and any restraints on that are intolerable. He added, I would never write about someone that forced me to write at a lower register than what I can write. 
And uh, John Doherty, the children's writer, apparently responded, don't worry, Martin, we can't all be imaginative and versatile. I think that perhaps secretly a lot of songwriters take a similar view uh, as Martin Amis about writing songs for children. But I think they're wrong. Writing for children is not a lower standard. It often needs to be higher. It's not easier to do. It's harder. It's not less important. It's more so. Consider Jesus' comments about anyone who causes a little one to stumble being deserving of a millstone tied around their neck. Writing songs for children is a high calling and a hard task to get right. I think this is even more important uh, because today in the contemporary church we struggle so much with all-age worship. It seems increasingly difficult to get adults and children in the same room worshipping together. Now we need songs written specifically for children. We need things for praise parties, for, for children's services, children's congregations. We need songs that children can listen to at home on CD and, and really connect with and they can uh, connect with God and learn truths from the Bible from them. But I also think there's a desperate need for songs which are truly all age, connecting equally both with adults and children. A lot of people are talking about this at the moment. Uh, Nick and Becky Drake use the phrase worship for everyone and they write on their website that songs can be written truly for everyone, young and old, families and individuals, every age and stage of life enjoying together. Big ministries uh, have the all-in thing, which is a resource to help all ages uh, when everyone is in together, worship together. Whilst Chris Chris Kandaya has blogged about age-integrated services. So the old divides where it was assumed that children and adults had to be separated in order to worship are being broken down and new kinds of gatherings and songs are being imagined. The example that you might want to think about for this is the example of a a Pixar film. Joe Squires from Big Ministries uh, uses the illustration of when you try to choose a movie for the whole family. Now, the dad might really want to watch something like Schindler's List, but that's not really appropriate for the children. They're not going to understand it. They're not going to connect with it. And it's kind of scary. Uh, The children, they might really want Barney the Purple Dinosaur. But again, that's not going to work with the parents. So if you choose something like Toy Story or Up or Wally, that's going to be enjoyed by everyone, but on different levels, both young and old. Or you might prefer to think of a book that's beloved by both children and their parents. Or maybe that CD that when you put it on, the whole family are really enjoying it all together. These creative media appeal on multiple levels. And that's my dream for all age songs. Songs which are understandable, which are engaging and instructive for both children and also for people who are older than that drawing everyone in to worship together. Now, to achieve this, I think uh, we might need to start to understand children a little better. And firstly, there's nothing more helpful than actually getting to know some kids that you're writing for. So uh, for me, having children of my own uh, was a real eye-opener to how kids worship, how kids engage with God. But it may be that you can, uh, if you haven't got kids, you can get to know children in your church. 
But I also think that child development studies are really relevant to this, and particularly how faith develops in children as they grow. And the main expert in this area is a guy called James Fowler, who wrote a book called Stages of Faith. But if you want to read a slightly more accessible and perhaps evangelical version of this book, uh, I would recommend Francis Bridges' book, Children Finding Faith. What these experts conclude is that faith is just as real at any stage of child development, uh, but it's going to look different depending on the stage. So, for example, you don't expect a five-year-old to be reading Shakespeare and eating blue cheese. Their, their literary abilities, their palate has not yet developed to appreciate these things. And yet you still give them books, you still feed them food. It's just you give them something appropriate to their age. Similarly, I think we should feed our children a spiritual diet appropriate to the stage that they're at. And that's got to include the kind of songs that we're sharing with our children. So considerations, uh, if you think about these, this idea of, of child development, um, firstly, uh, found that children, uh, particularly younger children, really don't do abstractions or conceptual thinking in the way that an adult does. Um, a lot of adult songs use concepts, don't they? We say things like, God, you are love. Uh, they say things like, your righteousness knows no end. Or, my sin is great, but your grace is stronger. Well, these are abstract ways of thinking. They're concepts. And these are not going to connect with children. Young kids don't process concepts like this. Instead, they think in terms of their experience. They think of things that actually happen to them. So a phrase like, I do things wrong, but God always wants to be my friend again. That's not a concept. That's a, that's a concrete thing that can actually happen. Or God, you look after me. That's going to connect with a child. Jesus never lets us down. These kind of statements are going to make sense to a child. Secondly, and relatedly, Kids take things literally. Um, we use a lot of metaphors in adult songs, uh, but they need to be handled carefully. You know, say something like, Jesus is in my heart. And there's a story of a, a child who was drawing Jesus and he said, well, he's covered in red blood because he's in my heart. So it must be, you know, quite messy in there. Um, they don't understand that that's a metaphor. We might say, you need to be born again. Well, what, what does that mean? You know, do they think that they have to go back inside their mum's tum and literally be born again? Now, it doesn't mean we can't use any metaphors, but we just need to be careful with them. We need to unpack them. Perhaps an extended metaphor over the entire length of a song would be more helpful. Or perhaps we need to use it more like a simile and say, God is like this. So it's really clear to a child what it is that we mean. Also, uh, be aware of negative connotations in a metaphor that you're using. Um, we might say something like, Jesus will return like a thief in the night. That's a good biblical metaphor. But actually, a thief, that's not a positive thing in a child's mind. That might sound scary to them, thinking you know Jesus is some sort of cat burglar. So let's be really aware of the, the connotations of the metaphors that we use. Another point is to avoid jargon and cliche. Now, I would say this is true with adults as well as children, but it's particularly true with children because often kids will parrot something 
that they've heard, they'll rep respond it back to you, but they won't necessarily understand it. Uh, so um, the other thing that I found is that children um, in, in adult songs, often we might find it hard to put ordinary language. We struggle to talk about things like money or the places we live or our work or our schools. That Sometimes, sometimes that, that language just seems a bit odd in an adult song. But for some reason, in a song aimed at children, there's a bit more freedom to be a bit more literalistic with our language. So the example um, I think is really strong is that Nigel Hemming talked in the interview that I did with him about his song Great Big God and how initially he had the line, it's higher than the mountains and deeper than the deep blue sea. And his wife said, oh, that's a bit weak. Why don't you say higher than a skyscraper, deeper than a submarine? And Nigel thought, well, that's a bit odd. You know, how can you talk about skyscrapers and submarines in worship songs? And he played it to loads of people and they said, yeah, that's the line you should use. For some reason, that, met, that, um, that language, which is very earthy and concrete, works when you say that a child is going to sing it. Somehow there's the permission uh, to use some of that more literal language. So you might want to think about uh, the kind of language you use and maybe explain Expanding the kinds of terms that you use in a song aimed for children. When you're thinking about what, what should I write, I would really encourage you to look for the gap themes. There are so many themes which haven't yet been done or done well in songs for children in all ages. You know, often notice that uh, you know, Great Big God is a fantastic song, but there's been lots and lots of songs after that that have also made this point that, God, you are so big. You're big, big, big. You're big, big. How big you are. God, you're big. And I sometimes wonder, OK, that's fine, but can we can we move on? Can we say something else about God? So an example might be, how would you get across an aspect of the cross in a way that a child would understand. How can we talk about sacrifice, forgiveness, obedience in, in that context in a way that everyone might understand? Or think about care of creation. It's quite easy to put um, language of creation into a song for children. We've got all those songs about if I was a you know butterfly and a fuzzy bear, uh, and that maybe sounds even a bit hackneyed. But what about, you know, I think kids are often quite concerned. You know, my, my daughter walks around and says, why has someone dropped that rubbish on the floor? Why is somebody polluting the environment? So what about a, a song that kids understand about the fact that God has made the world, he's given it to us as a gift, and yet, you know, we're not treating it well and we ought to. The last thing on, on lyrics is uh, to consider the fact that children often learn by doing. Uh, children are kinesthetic learners, uh, as are many adults, um, but most kids will learn not just by hearing something or talking about something, but by actually acting it out, by actually doing something. And that's one of the reasons why people use actions in a song or movements or dances or, uh, or even um, sign language is partly because Children can't always read. If they're young, maybe they read quite slowly. Uh, so actually getting them doing something is in a way of involving them in the song before they can even read. But also the, the movement, um, it's part of our human nature that when we do something, uh, we remember it better. We engage with it on a different level. So you might want to think, can I write a song that actually implies movements or actions in the lyrics? Uh, in the interview that I did uh, with Damien from Big Ministries, he talked about the song Words Are Not Enough. 
which says, God, I, I can't just wor um, worship you with my words. So please understand what I mean when I jump or when I clap or when I dance. They also wrote the song, uh, I Will Stomp, which has a whole list of different actions and says every action is a special blessing, is a way of showing that I love God. And also, I wrote a song uh, called I Will Lift My Hands, um, which is just basically explaining really to kids in all ages why we do some of the things we do. So I will lift my hands to say I love you for you are good to me. And then it talks about other things. Uh, I will raise my voice and shout, I love you, Jesus. I will close my eyes and think about you. We will join our hands as all your children for you are good to us. So in that song, what I was trying to say was, let's do these things and let's think about why we're doing them. And so the actions aren't just an add-on to kind of amuse kids, but actually they're integral to the way that your song has been written. If we uh, move on to thinking about the music of songs for children and all ages. Uh, the first thing I would say is keep it simple. Avoid too many sections. This is again, something that is true of a lot of songs, but particularly if you want a child to, to grab hold of it, uh, avoid too many sections. Um, I think often kids don't struggle with syncopation in the way that some adults do. If it's a, if it's a kind of speech melody, I think they're used to hearing that in pop songs, it's around them all the time. So don't worry too much about having songs that are you know, kind of four square like a hymn. But I would avoid overly complex music. I would avoid too wide a range. Often some of the modern songs are quite high and you really suit a kind of adult tenor voice, don't really work for children. And think about repetition, you know, again, back to the song Great Big God, that repeats the first line pretty much three times uh, in every chorus, and people catch onto that so quickly, uh, they get that, they're confident with it. You also might want to consider call and response. Again, the, the fact is that a lot of children either can't read or don't read the screen as quickly as an adult does. So um, something that I realised when I was running a children's service is that if we did a call and response song, like the song I Will Worship, for example, I could sing a line, they would immediately sing it back to me. They felt like they had a part to play in the song because I was kind of leading and they, they were responding. So I wrote a couple of songs uh, based on that idea. Um, one went, God you've given, everyone responds, God you've given so much to me, so much to me, I don't want to, I don't want to, uh, and so on. And the kinds, the lines kind of overlap a little bit, but it, it seemed to work, uh, the fact that I was calling out the line, everybody else was kind of echoing that back and people could really quickly pick that song up. The next thing I would say about music is, uh, what is one of the great freeing things about kids in all age songs is it it takes some of the limits off of musical style you know some of my kids favorite songs are from a really broad range of musical styles they like things that are a bit more out there a bit more extreme and sometimes people criticize uh contemporary worship and say oh it's all it all sounds the same it's all got the same kind of chords the same kind of grooves well maybe this is an excuse and an opportunity to use a broader range of music uh, so some of the music that my, my kids like they they like a song called uh, 66 books which is on a spring harvest kids album and it's got this kind of 70s glam rock stomp kind of style it's kind of out there but they love it they kind of pick up on the extremeness of it and the fun of it um, 
or the big ministry song I mentioned before, I Will Stomp. It's got this very kind of dumb chick um, kind of country. It's, it's just fun. I guess it it's kind of relates to uh, some of the other kind of things that are popular right now. But kids pick up on that stuff really quickly. And in an all-age setting, it becomes fun. It becomes a kind of family party style. So... I would encourage you to to listen widely, listen to what children are listening to, and uh, to not just write in that kind of narrow contemporary worship bubble. I also want to add that I don't think these songs need to necessarily be happy or jolly or, you know, uh, in a major key even. um, Joe Squires was interviewing um, Ishmael once, and she said, well, what are some of the things that we should do with children's songs? And apparently he said, well... Um, you should try and write them in a major key and she pointed out to him hang on a minute you know father god i wonder is one of your most famous songs it's sung all over the world Uh, father god i wonder is in a very minor um it's e minor it's a very minor feel to the whole song and yet actually lots of people connect with that young and old and so i wouldn't limit uh the kind of musical tone and the emotions of the songs that you write actually kids can connect with a song that is a bit more minor is a bit more somber they don't necessarily have to have everything fast and major and happy clappy uh finally uh a thought if you're going to write an all-age song about how to continue to keep adults engaged Uh, I would say, firstly, avoid overly childish language. If it sounds too preschoolish, if it sounds too silly, uh, as Damien was saying in the interview, if it uses some of those kind of kid slang phrases that actually adults feel a bit, oh, I feel a bit silly saying this. Actually, that's probably not going to work as an all-age song. It might be fine as a a preschool song or a children's song, uh, but as an all-age song, just think about the language you're using and whether it's a bit cringeworthy for an adult. Also, music that is a bit patronising. I talked about using a range of styles, but if you use a, a real kind of pastiche, you know, bad blues or a bad reggae. Again, adults will probably find that a bit cringeworthy. Uh, something that's just too uh, irritating, too repeated, the kind of crazy frog of the uh, the worship song world is probably not going to work. And I think finally, you want to have some sort of depth of meaning uh, to the lyrics. Um, It doesn't mean that it has to be super complicated, but actually to add something kind of theological, something biblical, or maybe something which is relating to, you know, life isn't always good. It's sometimes there are bad things. Actually, uh, adults can connect in with some of those things. And again, it's that Pixar effect. You know, there is a way of writing a song that um, hits both levels, that is engaging, understandable for children, but also has some depth. So that adults think, actually, this this is a meaningful song. I'm singing something that is actually helping me as well. So I'd encourage you to have a go, to get to know some children, to road test your songs in all age settings, to get feedback on them, and to do all you can to write songs that will bless and encourage and build up the whole church. (laughs) 
So that's our challenge for July, all age and kids songs. Uh, so see how you get on and do come and post your efforts on the forum and let's share and critique and um, improve and encourage each other. That's all we've got time for. So I want to say thank you very much to Geraldine for joining me uh, on this episode. Thank you to our live audience. And thank you to our house band, who I think will probably play us out with something special. Yeah.